God longs to meet with every single one of us every day of our lives and he longs to meet with everyone here this morning. This is what uh, Peterson in the wonderful translation, uh, the message says. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. A quiet yes to God. And my prayer is that every single person here this morning will say a quiet yes to God, even if you've never said yes to God before. When we say yes to Jesus, we actually are saying no to self-centeredness and to sin and to things that separate us from God. What takes place is a bit like a spiritual blood transfusion when we say yes to Jesus. So the moment we surrender ourselves to Jesus, <clears throat> every single part of our lives are sleeping, eating, our relationships, our marriages, our children, our work, our ordinary everyday lives begin to absorb the love of Jesus into our bloodstreams, into our very, very bloodstreams. His love becomes our lifeblood. So when we are born again into the family of God, we stop being spiritual orphans and we can sing from the bottom of our hearts, I've been born into your family, I am a child of God, our bloodline changes. His blood begins to flow through my veins and yours. I'd just like um, us to have a sung prayer now, um, for us to just focus on some words that we've already sung this morning, really, really very important words. So just let, let the Holy Spirit take these words, which are about the blood of Jesus. Um, just let them seep into you. <clears throat> So we know that his blood is flowing through our veins. It's the most extraordinary, life-changing experience to know the blood of Jesus flowing through our veins. Many years ago, a person came into church who had never been to a Christian church in their lives, 
Um, and that morning we celebrated communion. <clears throat> she asked me at the end about the significance of the bread and wine. As a very strict vegetarian, she was extremely offended by the words of Jesus. This is my blood given for you. She actually asked, and it was quite a serious question, whether we were some kind of cult. Um, and we had a very interesting conversation explaining that no, we weren't, but she just wondered if we were involved in some kind of ritualistic practice. But so many people have no idea what the blood of Jesus is all about. Immediately before Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for sins for the whole world, he wanted to make sure that we would never, ever forget. He invited us to remember him forever by eating bread and drinking blood. And he said, this, this is my blood shed for you, which is kind of all about blood transfusion, everything changing. Um, we are going to um, have an opportunity to take bread and wine, even though this isn't a, a communion um, service as such, but I'll explain about that a bit later on. So, um, blood is used in many different contexts. I see a doctor or two in the place and I don't know a thing about it. But Wikipedia tells me that the body fluid in humans and other animals that delivers nutrients and oxygen to cells and carries waste products away from those cells is called blood. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. So, uh, haematology is the study of blood in health and disease. That's all you'll get. So, there are lots of familiar phrases that we use um, when we use the word blood. So we talk about um, something being in our blood. We went for a walk on the moor and we met a farmer who's a third generation farmer and he said, farming is in my blood. Um, we use um, a phrase to describe um, a strong family loyalty and commitment, which is uh, blood is thicker than water. Um, Sometimes people who are of a mixed race are described as having mixed blood. And sometimes, when it's really hard to get a response from somebody, we talk about, it's like getting blood out of a stone. And, um, and then there was Churchill, who uh, his rallying call in the Second World War was, I promise you nothing but blood, sweat and tears. So blood is used an enormous amount in our everyday language. Um, the Hebrew word for blood is dam, and it's actually extremely um, closely connected to Adam, who was the first created male. And uh, it actually, it's, its translation is the very essence of life. And that actually probably brings us most closely to the biblical um, uh, understanding of blood. It's the very essence of our lives. We are going to spend a little bit of time going right back to the beginning, to the Old Testament, because to grasp really what the blood of Jesus is all about, we need to look at the Old Testament and reflect on the significance of blood and blood sacrifices. So, um, in the earliest of scriptures, we read that the life is in the blood. God creates us in his image and he places very high value on life, on human life. We are the pinnacle of his creation. To murder a fellow human being is, the, is a violation, an attack on life itself. That is what happens when bloodshed takes place. 
So, we're going to look at the story of Adam and Eve's two sons, very briefly. It's a very sober example of what happens when one man says yes to God and brings his very best, and the other brings something less than his best and has a very disgruntled attitude about him. We don't very know very much about these two brothers, apart from they each brought an offering to God. Abel was a shepherd, and he gave his very best lamb as a blood sacrifice. God was very pleased with Abel's sacrifice, with his offering. God saw the heart of love and devotion that motivated him. God is not interested in the external. He's always interested in, in why we do things, what goes on inside. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God can always see the heart, and he wasn't pleased with that sacrifice. Cain, who was probably a gardener, bought something he had grown as his sacrifice. But God saw that there was something in Cain's attitude which brought him a lot of displeasure. Cain was not happy that Abel's offering brought so much pleasure to God. And so began the sad tale of sibling rivalry and family. The two brothers, who should have been the best of mates, were torn apart by jealousy and revenge, which ended in murder. God saw, he saw that fierce battle that was going on in Cain and appealed to him to stop and reflect what was going on. He said, why are you so angry and resentful? Why are you so opposed to your brother? And then a warning, which is a sober warning for us all. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in to it. How many times have we felt sin crouching at our, our door? Maybe even this morning, maybe even now. There's sin, and God says, don't give in to it. Sadly, Cain refused to listen to God and refused to obey God. And his anger got out of control, and he murdered his brother. We have no idea if there was any remorse on Cain's part. Cain had been given the opportunity to listen to God and shut the door to sin, but there were some inevitable and sober consequences for him. God had the last word, he always does. Your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And I would suggest that every time there has been murder and bloodshed ever since, it's like the ground is crying out, is, is angry, is, is full of uh, regret for what bloodshed is all about. One commentator says the crying blood of Abel has been a perpetual voice crying out for revenge and justice down through history. None of us know what God might ask us to say yes to in the future or what it might lead to, what the outcome might be. But Abel's desire to say yes and bring his best resulted in his murder. Jesus' obedience in giving his best as a sacrifice for our sins resulted in his shameful and cruel death. And today there are more Christians than there have ever been, thousands and thousands, in the persecuted church who are saying yes to Jesus and they are prepared to give their lives as an ultimate sacrifice. Cain's refusal to listen to God and say yes to him resulted in God's original design for family. Family is God's idea in the first place. He designed it, he created it to be a place of security, of protection, of provision, of loyalty and of commitment. Sadly, chaotic and dysfunctional family is the stark reality for thousands in our so-called Christian nation.
But the good news is that the blood of Jesus can give us a complete blood transfusion and can transform family life. Absolutely, wherever you've been, whatever's happened, there's always good news with the blood of Jesus. Very early in the history of the Jewish people, God gave Moses some instructions about a very elaborate blood system for the forgiveness of sins. He made some requirements of them. He required that um, there had to be a lamb or a goat that was absolutely perfect and that it was to be offered as a sacrifice as his best. Love, obedience and surrender have always been at the heart of the gospel message, of the message, God's message of love. God expected his ancient people to be distinctive and separate from the pagan cultures he lived among. They worshipped, these pagan cultures worshipped many gods and they did whatever they felt they would like to do. Sadly, our culture today is surrounded by people who feel that it's their right to do whatever they feel like doing. I feel like doing this, so I'm going to do it. That's my right. Um, we're surrounded with people like that um, in every strata of society. God requires absolute loyalty and faithfulness to his ways then and now. The really, really good news is that however much we turn our backs on God, whenever we turn our backs on God and walk away from him, and it could be a day and it could be a lifetime, whatever, whenever we mess up, there's always a welcome back. All we have to do is say, call out to Jesus and say that yes. Um, just as we say farming is in that guy's bloodstream about a farmer, so we can say forgiveness is in God's bloodstream. It's what he does. It's in his blood. It's who he is. So I want us to fast forward from this terrible tale for a, to about a thousand years, and I want to read you a story from this book. So about a thousand years later... <coughs> God's people cried out to God to rescue them. God heard them. He remembered his promise to Abraham. He promised to look after his people. He would always find a way to set them free. I have heard my people's cries, God said. I have seen their tears. I have come down to rescue them. Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go free. Moses went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Moses began, God says, God, said Pharaoh, I've never heard of God. Moses kept going, God says, let his people go free. Why should I, Pharaoh said, I don't want to and I won't. So he didn't. God gave Pharaoh ten warnings called plagues. First, God turned the river Nile into blood. No one could drink the water. But still, Pharaoh would not let them go. God made frogs come hopping and leaping and jumping. In your bed, frogs, in your hair, frogs, in your soup, frogs, frogs everywhere. Make them go away, Pharaoh screamed. Then your people can go. So God took the frogs away. Pharaoh changed his mind. You can't go, he said. And then God sent zillions of gnats. Pharaoh still said no. And after that, sickness and horrible boils and huge hailstones and a storm of locusts and darkness when it should have been day, until everything seemed to be falling apart, coming undone. Everything was darkness and nothingness. Each time, Pharaoh said, make it stop, and then, 
and then I'll let them go. And each time he changed his mind. Finally, Moses gave Pharaoh a warning. Obey God or he will send you the worst plague of all. Pharaoh laughed. So God said, the oldest boy in each family of Egypt must die, but my people will be safe. God told his people to take their best blood, to kill it, and to put some of its blood on their front doors. When God passes over your house, Moses explained, God will see the blood, and he will know that the lamb has died for you. That night, it was just as God had said. Suddenly, piercing the darkness, echoing down the corridors of the palace, came a blood-curdling stream. Pharaoh's eldest son had died. At last, Pharaoh did what God said and just said, Get out! Go! Just go! And so that very night, Moses and God's people fled out of Egypt, out of slavery. They were free at last. God's people would always remember this great rescue. They called it the Passover. It was when the angel passed over. Many years later, God was going to do it again. He was going to come down once more to rescue his people. But this time, God was going to send his only son as a sacrifice forever. Great story. So, over the next mm, probably a thousand years or so, the sacrificial system that uh, had been instituted at the beginning of um, the Old Testament became very corrupt. People and priests uh, alike turned into very self-indulgent people, self-centred and abusive lifestyles were absolutely rife. God even uh, stopped sending prophets to his people. Um, and the place intended as an altar where they could say yes became absolutely obsolete. And then at exactly, at exactly the right time, God intervened. God gave his very, very best son, his very best gift for the sins of the world, his only perfect son. And Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's where, we, where, where it all comes from. So the blood of Jesus actually makes enemies out of friends. There's a, another important word that's connected with the blood of Jesus. So we have the word sanctify, to be set apart, to keep on saying yes. The other big word, which it's good to get used to, is atonement. Atonement means to make enemies into friends. So when Jesus atoned for our sins, he brought us back. When we, as soon as we accept his sacrifice, he brings us back into friendship with God. So God's word says that our sins separate us from God. We're, we're enemies. We're, we, God can't look at that sin because he's perfect and holy. But what Jesus did brought us back into friendship with God, provided we say yes. So what I want to do is to look at a few questions and a few scriptures surrounding this whole area of sanctification, of being made clean by the blood of Jesus. So the first one, the question is, how can I be eternally secure and confident that I've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus? 
So uh, security and confidence is something we all absolutely long for. The world is full of insecure people and people who lack confidence. Our verse for the year is, don't throw away your confident trust. It will be rewarded. So how is it that we can be eternally secure and confident? What I'd love us to do is to read, um, I think we'll read it all together. It's different, different versions, so let's read it all together. Come on, stand up and read it. Give yourself a bit of a shake. <laughs> okay. So, how can I be eternally secure and confident that I've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus? Here it is. Jesus has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but with the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. He alone has made our salvation secure forever. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Okay, so there we have it. How do I become, just how do I become secure and confident? I've got three A's. First of all, agree with that, we keep it up, that agree with that truth, that Jesus is God's perfect once and for all sacrifice. Secondly, accept the free gift of eternal life that Jesus offers me. And thirdly, ask him to come into my life forever. This is not a passive thing. Jesus is offering something so profound and he wants us to actually actively accept it and agree with him so that our salvation is secure forever, so that we can enjoy eternal life. Recently, uh, Fraser went for a, a well-man check to the doctor and had all his whatever done. And um, he went back and uh, it was a great blessing. The doctor said, yes, you're A1, you're very, very fit. In fact, you'll live forever at this rate. So Fraser, never missing a moment, said, oh, well, I'm a Christian and I know I'm going to live forever, so that's great, thank you very much. The doctor looked a little bemused and got on with his day's work. So, second question, second PowerPoint. What do I have to do to put in place in order to live a radical lifestyle in which I keep on saying yes to Jesus. It's not about saying yes once, it's just going on and on and on until we get to um, our eternal life when we meet Jesus finally. So what is it I have to do? So let's just read these verses together. Jesus is able to save completely from now and throughout eternity. Everyone who comes to God through him. Jesus is continually praying for us. Jesus fulfilled the old sacrificial system and offered himself once for all people and all time. I was very impacted by the fact that Jesus is continually praying for us. I, I often, when I, I just think, oh, I don't know, I'd love someone to pray for me and there's no one around. Jesus <coughs> is praying all the time. 
And he wants us to connect with that prayer of heaven. And one of the most magnificent things that Jesus prays is he said before he went back, I am praying that you will be kept safe from the world, from the culture you live in, from the way things are. Jesus is always praying for us. He is our intercessor. I just want to read something from this amazing book by a man called Timothy Keller. It's called Encounters with Jesus. We can easily disqualify ourselves. Like, you know, I've been a Christian for a very long time, and that's amazing. You might have not said yes to Jesus, and you might think, oh, it's all right for her. She's read the Bible a lot, and she da-da-da-da-da. Actually, none of us, not one of us, is disqualified. There's another big word coming up. Jesus is not only the one who atones us, he's our advocate. Jesus stands as our advocate and representative before the throne of the universe. It is a way of saying that he has ascended and not just levitated. It doesn't matter who you have been or what you have done. It really doesn't matter how flawed and foolish you are. When you accept Jesus, the eyes of God the Father look at you and they see the ascended Jesus. When they listen to you, they hear Jesus. When God looks and listens to you, whoever you are, he sees you in your infinite and eternal beauty. How amazing, that's how God looks at us, because of Jesus. I would love you all, please, if you've got access um, to the church Bibles, to look up a scripture. I'm very old-fashioned and I love the fact that we can actually open the Bible and read it. And it's good to find your way around your Bible. So page 1224 in most church Bibles, not, not necessarily all. So if you're not sure, you can ask someone near you how you navigate all of this. I hope it's, it's not, it's, yeah. Some of the Bibles are slightly different, and I just want everybody to have to be able to have a similar. Okay, so the passage, the verse we're going to read is um, in the section entitled One John, and uh, this, the, the paragraph entitled The Word of Life, and we're going to read um, from verse 8 to verse 10, and we're going to read it together, okay? Um, in this, in, you, you, some of you will have your own Bibles that are a different version, but we'll actually read it in the... It's 1 John, chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Okay? Are we all there? If, if there's someone next to you who isn't there, would you like to give them a little bit of a hand? This is like mission community, isn't it? Okay, so let's read from verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. I would say that if you want to go away with um, just the, actually the heart of what Jesus' blood is all about, 
those verses um, are brilliant. Can we just go back and read verse 7 as well, please? The previous verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, so the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. I had a very interesting experience this week that I've never had before. So I immersed myself in, in the Bible and uh, in thinking about the blood of Jesus and just thinking, you know, asking God how, how we can consider it today in the 21st century when it can be, seem quite obsolete in a way, quite difficult to grasp hold of. And at the end of one of the days, I put my pen down, I came downstairs, and I actually <coughs> felt clean, tangibly clean, in a way that I never have before. I'm not, I have the things that assault me, and feeling dirty and grubby is not, internally, is not one of them. I felt so clean, and I just thought, Lord, what's that about? It's because I've been immersed in the word of God and the blood of Jesus, but it's also because... There are probably one or two people here today who don't feel clean. And that today is an opportunity to actually accept everything that Jesus has to begin that clean-up process so that you can go away from this morning feeling absolutely clean. So, how do we live a radical um, lifestyle when we are always saying yes to Jesus? I would say that the first thing is we need to keep short accounts with Jesus. We need, when, when we know that we've sinned, we need to say, I'm sorry, Jesus, right away. And to actually actively say it out if it's possible. To actually name the name of Jesus and say, I'm sorry, Jesus. And very often it'll be a thought or a, a bad attitude. But just to keep on saying, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus. And ask for him to make us clean. Keep short accounts. The confession of our sins is the way in which to restore our fellowship with Jesus. We've just read, read these um, verses. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, cleanses us, makes us clean from all sins. And then in verse 9, if we confess our sins, that means actually acknowledge them. He is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and purifies us makes us clean from everything. So, it's, it's, uh, confession is, um, is very cleansing. It also, it not only brings us a, a cleanness, but it restores our fellowship with God. We suddenly realise, yeah, it's okay, I can start praying again, and have that lightness in my spirit. God um, is with me yet again. It removes obstacles from our um, being able to communicate with God. And it restores intimacy. I don't know if you have the experience of someone very close to you and, and you've really needed to say sorry to them for some bad stuff and not necessarily anything particularly profound but you say to a close friend or a family member, I'm really sorry about that. And you know, immediately we say sorry in our human relationships something's restored, something's remade and intimacy begins to be re-established again. So it's exactly the same in our relationship with God. So I believe that a radical lifestyle needs to impact all of our relationships. Now, you might be completely different from me, I'm not going to ask you, but I find the hardest relationships 
to uh, live uh, a radical lifestyle are to those closest to me. Those I know really, really well, those who know me really well. Um, it's, it's kind of quite easy to come to church <coughs> and to, to actually be in good relationship with each other. But it, it's where the rubber hits the road, with my spouse, with my mum, with my dad, with my kids, with my granny, with my dearest friends I spent most times with. That is where it's really, really hard for this whole thing about confession and being made clean um, to impact us. We're often hardest on the ones closest to us. I'm going to say that again. I am often hardest on those people who are closest to me. That's offensive to God. Some of us have consciences that nag away at us. Some of us tend to be very hard on ourselves, and I would suggest if we're hard on ourselves, we're probably quite hard on others. Maybe you have a spouse or a friend that's always banging on and on about what you haven't done. They'll say, you never, or you always. You know that phrase, you never do this, or you always do that. They bang on and on and on about it. And it's, um, it's a bit like Satan accusing us. I want to tell you what God's word says about all of that. Right back in the book of Proverbs, one of the things that God hates is bloodshed. Another thing that God hates is putting down others while you, you yourself feel superior. That is something that God absolutely hates. Sorry, it's in Proverbs. I can't remember which chapter. It's, one, it's a list. These things, the Lord, six things the Lord hates. Finally, I want to talk about something which we don't talk about very, very much which is the confession of our sins to each other. So in the Catholic Church, um, the discipline of uh, confession is, uh, is very much part of how, how they operate, and it's, it's come to a very new way, which is, is much cleaner, actually, and, and much more liberating than how it used to be. But it's still very, very, very important, um, confessing of sins to one another. I would suggest that it's, it's really helpful to find a very secure and trusted friend. You don't do this to everybody. You just find a secure or trusted friend and say, look, I've really messed up, and I um, would love it if you would um, please pray for me. I once um, had a hard time with my mum, really, really hard time, and uh, I, needed to, um, I needed to deal with myself. I was banging on and on and on, she this, she that, da-da-da-da-da. And I just knew the Lord said, stop. Um, and so Pam, lovely Pam, she was the one that I said, now can I come and see you? And can I just make this a place of, the com of confession of sins? And uh, so it didn't happen very often, maybe once every eight weeks or so. And I didn't go through a long, long tick list. I knew the Lord, he, he shows us which one we have to do. And uh, she was brilliant. And uh, she actually um, gave me a word that meant I didn't need to come again. She said, um, I want you to listen to this promise. Um, honour the Lord your God. Uh, sorry, honour your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Now, Fraser and I happen to believe that there's a lot of land he's promised to us in this, in this area where he said, you know, there's going to be salvation, there's going to be revival, there's going to be all sorts of things bursting out. 
And Pam said, that's what you believe. Um, you're, you better deal with your mother and father so that your days can be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So it's just so good to find somebody that you can go to. Um, there's something really interesting we're going to look up in the Bible again. Um, so if you could look up the book of James, and we won't all read it together, but the book of James, which is for many people on page 1216, Um, chapter 5 and verse 16. When I first read this verse a long, long time ago, I was absolutely, I was bowled over by it. <coughs> so I'm going to read it. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This verse is not saying, if you are sick, you have sinned. That, that's not what this is about. This is about the fact that when we honestly and sincerely um, find somebody that we can confess something to, we will find that not only is the intimacy restored with God, we're quite likely to experience a bit of healing, however God wants to heal us. It's an amazing truth. So I think that's a really, really um, important sin. We had someone in our mission community who's quite a new Christian who was just bowled over by that and said, oh, I thought that was only for the Catholics. But it's hearing God's word. Jesus is constantly praying for us <coughs> to keep us safe in the world. And I want to encourage us all. If we want to live a radical lifestyle that we need to set up altars of prayer, um, so that we can, we can have agreement with people, we can um, find a safe place, and a couple of friends um, who we can really be open and honest with and um, can challenge each other in. Uh, if Jesus is continually praying for us, how much more do we need to just pray on and on and on? Um, and I want to encourage um, parents to pray with their children, for there to be family prayers um, established as an altar of prayer. I know that some of you are doing that already, but it's an amazing place um, for you to pray as a family together. Um, you can find a couple of really trusted friends and say, come on, let's meet every six weeks or however often, and let's set up this little altar of prayer agreements and maybe of accountability where we ask each other the hard questions. Uh, if you're married, now I feel this is kind of really, it's delicate ground, but I'm going to say it. If you're married to another Christian, that is an incredible blessing. There are some who would love to have a Christian partner. If you're married to another Christian, it is vital, absolutely vital, that you set up a prayer altar in your marriage. It is, it is the most amazing place for honesty and uh, for intimacy and for... Um, but a real dealing with some of those things that are hard to deal with. Um, so I would encourage all who are married to a Christian, where they have it as a Christian, two of you together, that you <coughs> set up an altar of prayer. Now I happen to know that for a lot of people this is really, really hard. It just doesn't happen. And do you know why I think it doesn't happen? Because the enemy knows that it's one of the most powerful places of prayer. 
and, and it's a place where we, <coughs> we will see God doing some amazing things when we come in honesty. It has to, there has to be honesty when you set up an a, a altar of prayer in your marriage. So really encourage you, you know, just to, just to kind of talk to each other and say, hey, this is something we really, really need to do. Um, and it might become your greatest blessing and your greatest place of breakthrough. Thank you very much, Aid. Okay, what do I mean for that? I mean a place where you agree that you are going to pray and you have to find that agreement maybe twice a week, maybe every morning before you go out. We, our altar of prayer has to be every single morning before we go out and at the end of the day. But you make an agreement where there's a place that you recognise as special for you to pray together. Is that? Has anyone else got any? You, anyone else got anything to say about that? Anyone who has, has done it and finds something helpful? Okay. So the last question is: How can I overcome adversity? Which we are going to have on a PowerPoint, and uh, Fraser is going to read it to us. Now salvation and power are set in place, and the kingdom reign of our God and the ruling authority of his anointed one are established. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who relentlessly accuse them day and night before our God, has now been defeated, cast out once and for all. They conquered him completely through the blood of the Lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. They triumphed because they did not cling to their own lives, even when faced with death. Okay, thank you. So a little bit of explanation about this scripture. Um, it occurs in the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, and John, one of Jesus' closest um, friends, uh, was exiled there. Um, and he had the most extraordinary vision of the presence of God. Um, he saw things that had never been seen before and God showed him what would be um, in the world in which we live until end times, until Jesus returns. And um, there's a lot in the book of Revelation which is about the battle that we're in, the, the, the fact that it's so hard quite often to follow Jesus and lots of help with how we can actually uh, break through, push through. So, um, because Jesus has died, um, salvation and power are set in place. He's gone back to heaven and he um, rules in authority. That's established. Jesus rules in authority. We've already looked at the fact that he's continually praying for us, that he is our advocate. He rules in heaven. He is our authority. And one of the ways in which we can overcome adversity is by uh, knowing the blood of Jesus constantly applied to our lives and by giving a testimony to what Jesus has done. And that is incredibly faith-building. You know, if you're feeling really, really rough, 
you start speaking about what Jesus has done, I tell you, it starts to change everything. Some of us find ourselves struggling with false guilt and false accusation. I'm saying us because it's something that, that happens to me. I kind of feel guilty for things I know I haven't done and the voice bangs on and on and on. And I've got a very amusing story. This doesn't happen any longer. But when I first encountered the power and presence of Jesus, um, I got really scared that someone would prophesy, would have some knowledge, um, they would speak out in a public meeting and it would be all about all my sins, the worst part about me. I was absolutely petrified and I would almost, if, if, if there was someone giving a word that, I'd kind of nip out to the loo or find a kind of way to avoid it because I just, the accuser was going bang, 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 bang. And so um, it does happen to some people. Freedom is wonderful that Jesus brings. Um, so he, it says that Satan is the accuser, okay? So the accuser of our brethren and sisters, uh, John says, Satan is the accuser. He relentlessly accuses us day and night, has been defeated. When Jesus died, Satan was dealt with once and for all. And when it, he, he was put under the feet of Jesus, but he still has... Um, he can still operate, and he, that will only finish, that Satan's operation will only end when Jesus comes back to this world and there's a new heaven and a new earth. So we're all aware of this battle that goes on. And, um, yeah, he, he does, he accuses us. Um, since we've been involved with CAP, um, we've um, heard, we've, we've seen firsthand of how horrendous it is to have the bailiff um, at you. They, you can feel, if the bailiff is coming, that they're, they're going on at you day and night. They can bang at your door or you get a phone call. It's horrible, that relentless banging away of the bailiff. And if you are a cat client, the only way in which that can be stopped is by the authority of cap. Cap has the authority to negotiate with the people that you uh, owe money to and... Um, to actually request that they stop banging at your door. Cat takes the whole whole lot and, um, and deals with it for you. Just like Jesus has taken everything and he has the authority, he's dealt with everything for us. I think that's quite a, a helpful example. Um, sometimes our consciences deceive us and the accuser is just relentless in his desire to pull us down. We can find ourselves guilty for what we haven't done. And uh, not guilty uh, is what Jesus says. The Bible calls that condemnation. In my pocket, I have a little piece of paper. Confession time. It's very crumpled up. And some weeks ago, I was feeling very condemned about something like bang, 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 bang. And I'd done, I, it was okay. I'd done everything I could. So I wrote down the scripture. And this is what it is. Whenever my heart makes me feel guilty and reminds me of my failures, I know that God is much greater than my conscience. He knows everything there is to know about me. When my heart doesn't condemn us, I have again a bold freedom to speak face to face with God. And on the other side is part of a prophetic word I was given yonks ago. 
which I'm not going to tell you about. That's my private little word. And I reminded myself of what God has said. God has said. God has said. It's just great to get something tangible and deal with it when, when the accuser's coming. Remember that your heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favourites. He loves us all exactly the same. God paid a ransom to save us from the empty life that we inherited from our ancestors. The ransom, the price that God paid, was not gold or silver. It was the precious, precious blood of Jesus, a sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Will you say yes to that incredible, incredible sacrifice? Yes, I want to have your blood, Jesus, cleansing me. My whole system, my past, my present. Lord Jesus, I'm going to say yes. He invites us to say yes to his precious blood. And we all know what that means. It means something different to us all today. But he invites us to say yes.